Life, Liberty, and Law, this very show that you're listening to right now recently celebrated its second birthday. 24 months of conversations on how we can all work together to protect the human right to life in culture, law, and policy. I hope that Americans United for Life will continue to have these vital conversations for years to come. Throughout the last two years, I have hosted this show alongside Noah Brandt. Today will be our last conversation with Noah in that capacity. Starting soon, Noah will be moving on from Americans United for Life, but be sure he will be staying in the fight to defend innocent human life. Today on Life, Liberty, and Law, we discuss some of our best moments from the first two years of the show. We talk shop on some of the most important questions that the show has sought to resolve and the issues of the day, and what we can expect moving ahead. I am Tom Shakely, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law. Liberty and Law from Americans United for Life, where we advance the human right to life in culture, law, and policy. I am Tom Shakely, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Noah Brandt and Anna-Claire Noblet. Noah, this is it. Your last show, two years in. It's great to be with you. Tom, it's fantastic to be with you, my friend. Uh, it's been a great two years. I can't. I, when I think about, it, I, I when I was thinking in my uh, my head about uh, recording this conversation with you, I was thinking, man, you know, it's like, oh, we've done this for a year, or something. Two years, a show a week, pretty much for two years, uh, almost 130 conversations. That's a lot. It is, yeah, and it's not just the quantity, but I think the quality of the conversation and, and what we wanted to do with this show, um, we'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes, but I mentioned we've also got Anna-Claire Noblet. Anna-Claire, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to celebrate Noah today and think about what's coming next. Noah, you know, I think when we first put this uh, concept together, you know, we talked shop about this for really a few months before uh, yeah. we brought it to, to reality, we brought it to life. I think you and I both saw in pro-life world that there was uh, there was kind of a missing piece. There was a gap in terms of the types of conversations that folks were having. I think there are a lot of conversations uh, and have been for years, for decades, uh, walking people through just purely the politics of pro-life issues. And there are a lot of conversations walking people through purely what we might today call the bioethical issues of the pro-life movement. But sort of like AUL's role in general uh, in terms of bridging these gaps, bridging these divides, uh, I think the conversations we've had here have really sought to do that as well and saying that they, that these things are not exclusively one or the other, right? It's not just a political problem, and it's not just a cultural problem, and it's not just a medical problem. These things all have to come together. We have to have coherent conversations, right? Yeah, well, you know, Tom, uh, as, as you and I know, I, I think we've gotten gotten pretty good at it. But when you're formulating how to how to talk about these things, it's tough to talk about these tough, sometimes somber, literally issues of life and death in a way that is both informative and somewhat educational. You know, it's getting across a point, but is also uh, friendly and that somebody actually wants to listen to. You know what I mean? Like something uh, like in between, you know, a political ad or a soundbite and like a college lecture or something. Uh, and I think that we've we've walked that line pretty well of especially the, what I've enjoyed is during these 
conversations we have with experts, you know, whether they be medical doctors or attorneys or scholars, is uh, when we get to dive into who they are as people, uh, it's a little bit less like they're giving five minutes of testimony to Congress. You know what I mean? We get to sort of meld the, who they are as a person with their expertise. And, I, and at least to me, right, in my, uh, my monkey brain, that helps me make a connection to the issue and it helps stick with me. And I hope that helps our listeners as well. No, that's right. Yeah. And in so many of the conversations, it's really been there. There have been sort of epiphany moments um, that we've discovered with those guests in the course of the conversation, right, where for very few people advocating for human life, whether they're a practicing mm. physician or whether they're a think tank person in D.C. or somewhere in between, uh, for very few of them, has it been like uh, a starting point where they said, you know, like they're in college and they say, I want to do this as a career. You know, there's yeah, been some, something for them, right? You know, in terms of a spouse or a family member or, you know, somebody off the street, literally, uh, who's helped change their thinking on this and brought them to it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And these, you know, it's like the, the humanizing these experts, I think, also, uh, at least it, it's helped me learn that none of this stuff, uh, you know, it's like we... It's, it upsets me to think about where we are in a country when it comes to abortion, you know what I mean? Like, we have this this abortion on demand, and it's just like, in our society, it's so prevalent. Uh, but there wasn't really a master plan behind that, which actually makes me feel a little bit better, because there's... There's no grand conspiracy, I guess is to say, right? It's, it's like people always like to think when something bad's happening, there's a grand conspiracy. Yeah, it's kind of there disappointing to find out there wasn't, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There wasn't really. And that's the uh, – but the thing that I'm trying to get to that is actually the, the point for optimism is there's not a grand conspiracy on how to make it better, right? The, what's going to make it better is a bunch of different individuals and families and communities – banding together for these for these common goals and common ideas. And we've talked to, over the course of these 100-plus episodes, dozens and dozens of people uh, who have such different backgrounds, Tom. I mean, it, it's like if they weren't connected by this issue, they might not stop and play darts with each other in a bar, but they they, are, they have solidarity and common purpose uh, in our shared goal, which I, I think is, is really exciting to me and really does give me a lot of hope. That's right. So, Noah, let's talk. We're going to talk in a few more minutes about the, some of the content and some of the conversations we've had over the past few years at Life, Liberty, and Law. But let's talk about Americans United for Life broadly. Noah, you're stepping away from AUL after three years. Uh, I'm curious. We've done this with so many others, but it's time to do it with you. <laughs> How did you come to AUL? How did you come to the pro-life movement, Noah? Yeah, well, uh, I love America's Center for Life, and I love uh, every everyone I, I work with here, and all the, the great people I've got to got to be impacted by. Um, but yeah, I've worked here for three years. You know, I I lived in D.C. for for many years uh, before that. I went to college in D.C. at George Washington University. Yeah, got my master's degree in legislative affairs, and. Uh, you know, I when I was getting out, I, I knew that I wanted to work uh, in the pro life movement. You know, before I worked at AUL, I spent time working at the NRCC, which is the National Republican Congressional Committee, which is a group that tries to elect uh, Republicans to the uh, House of Representatives. Uh, I worked on the Missouri gubernatorial race. I worked for the Marco Rubio presidential campaign, 
And uh, all of those different experiences, right, especially like those that all that campaign work, it's there are different issues that animate people. You know what I mean? If I think about reasons that I, you know, for example, liked Marco Rubio, I liked him because of his muscular foreign policy. I liked him because of his defense of the ideas of the American founding. But the number one issue for me, Tom, ever since I was a really young person was uh, the issue of life. You know what I mean? Like I've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast, had a chance with guests, but one of my earliest formative experiences politically or just uh, when it comes to ideas and our rights was when I was an extremely young person. And I went with my mom and dad uh, on a big bus to, uh, from our church to two hours away to Jefferson City to Missouri State Capitol for the, a pro-life rally. You know, and I remember everyone, you know, you wore red and the different speakers spoke on the rotunda of our beautiful state capitol. And uh, that made an impact on me from when I was extremely young of what is our project about? Like, what is our project in sort of collaborative uh, governance and democracy and constitutional republicanism? What is it about if uh, we can't agree on sort of this bedrock human right to life? And it sounds trite to say uh, nothing else matters, but it is tough to say, well, I guess we'll compromise on this so I can get these other things I like, right? Like, for example, I'm, you know, in, in my free time, like I said, Tom, I like to dabble in foreign policy. I'm really interested in it. You know, we talked uh, recently with Alexander just saying just on the Afghanistan stuff, uh, but there's always different, different foreign policy quagmires and opportunities going on around the world. And I'm interested in it. And I think that America has a really important role to play. And our role to play, I think, usually is as a leader and as a defender Tom, of global human rights, you know what I mean? As I, I don't think that those words that Thomas Jefferson wrote, right, about all men, all men, that just means all people, all mankind being endowed by their creator of certain inalienable rights, I don't think that's like a joke, you know what I mean? I, I, I take that pretty seriously, so that's why I appreciate a muscular stance for U.S. foreign policy to defend those rights across the world, but the number one responsibility we have is to defend those rights and that right to life uh, right here in America, and so I think it's, it's tough to be interested in politics with a sort of a holistic understanding of our Constitution, of our God-given rights, and not be passionate about the human right to life. Sometimes it flabbergasts me. Even I have other friends, you know, I've lived in DC for so many years. I have a lot of friends who work in different areas of politics and uh, most of them, a lot of them are ostensibly pro-life and they care. Uh, but it does sort of surprise me when it doesn't animate them as much as it animates me. Uh, because how can you be fighting on these other tangential issues while you ignore the fact that, uh, you know, millions of Americans are being denied the right to be born and live? That's right. No, yeah, it's it's you're very much conjuring up uh, sort of Jordan B. Peterson, I think, for me, you know, speaking <laughs> with my brother, who his book had a big impact on. But that idea, right, that he talks about in there that, you know, you can't, on the one hand, hope to go out and change the world mm. right? if you if you can't even clean your room. You know, in other words, if you don't yes, have your own house in order. And, you know, the United States, uh, as we have talked about from time to time is that kind of grim leader uh, in the most extreme abortion policies. You're one of, what is it, seven nations along with North Korea, Iran, China, et cetera, uh, that has, has the most laissez-faire uh, abortion policies. Uh, and well, and it's, it's, it's so funny, Tom. It's, like you, it's, it's such a good point. And like you think about, uh, we, I, I, we talk about a lot 
how America is really an aspirational place for a lot of people who live here, but it's really an aspirational place for people across the country. You know, I mean, there's there's some intense statistics, something like one in four people across the globe would immigrate to the United States if they had the opportunity, you know, two billions and billions of people, uh, you know, maybe who knows how much they know about the United States, but they know they'd want to live there if they had the chance to right. be the number one place they want to live. And we're the, you know, just the source of hope for immigrants and strivers and entrepreneurs and families across the world. World. Uh, but let's just, you know, if, if you, if we sort of lived in a hypothetical world where preborn children had sort of the cognitive ability to, to decide where they would like to live with their mother and be, and be born, they might choose to be born in the U.S., but man, they would not choose to be in utero in the United States because it's one of the most dangerous countries to be a preborn human in the world. That's right. And how can we really witness to the rest of the world or, or provide value to them, even right as friends, as friendly nations, uh, when we have this going on at home, right? I think it undercuts our credibility. You're talking about foreign policy and, and the opportunities and challenges there. There's no way we can do this effectively. I think that's why like last year's Geneva Consensus Declaration was so important uh, as, mm, a, as a yes. sort of a new declaration to say, you know, that these signatories, you know, nations representing over a billion people on planet Earth fundamentally saying that that abortion is an ill that it's an evil that it's a wrong uh that it's not a part of healthcare, that it's not a part of their national cultures uh and so you know that that sort of thing that that we hopefully can hew toward um but you know Noah, we mentioned in the introduction that you're not stepping away from this work it's clear you're passionate about it. it's clear this isn't just a job for you you didn't get infected yeah. by the cynicism of dc thank god you know so thank what's goodness. what's next yeah, Tom. Well, it's been a fantastic three years at American Center for Life, and I'm excited to stay in the pro-life movement, uh, working at another just amazing pro-life group, Live Action, leading their government affairs department, uh, you know, working in communications here. Uh, you know, a lot of places uh, outside of D.C. don't always have a communications director. Sometimes they call it a marketing director or a media director or something. But, you know, that communications here is, is pretty holistic, right? How are we uh, – we maybe use the word messaging or talking. How are we talking to – to citizens? How are we talking to lawmakers? How are we talking to journalists, right? We've talked to, to pro-life journalists before about sort of the prism, right? That the, the, the paradigm that pro-abortion journalists have and why it's so challenging for pro-lifers to talk effectively to them. And that's something that I've worked on. And I'm excited to, uh, to be working in government affairs, which will be sort of a more laser focus on talking to our lawmakers, both federally in Congress and at the state level. And right, in, all, in all 50 states, where so much of what actually impacts us day to day is happening. So uh, I, I couldn't be more excited. I could, couldn't be more happy about my amazing experience at AUL, but I couldn't be more excited to uh, to go to go work at Live Action. Yeah, well, congratulations. Now, Live Action is really an amazing organization. We consider them great partners in our work. You know, we worked closely with Live Action um, back before the pandemic, just days before the pandemic hit, uh, when we had mm. our, our rally in front of the U.S. Supreme Court for the June Medical Services case that the Supreme Court was hearing in oral arguments at the time in March. Uh, what was that, March 4th or 5th of 2020? Right, and, right. Uh, we're proud to stand with live action. So many good groups. And the work they do, I mean, is invaluable. They stepped into a, a part of the pro-life movement when they were founded that I don't think many realized uh, even ne needed to be stepped into. And they're reaching now, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but just millions of people every month with powerful 
truly life-changing pro-life content. I think of their abortion procedures videos um, where they go through in an animated way, showing people what takes place. I think of their investigative work that Lila herself did, uh, Lila Rose, who founded Live Action, uh, alongside other folks that have branched out since then, like David DeLayden, who's been a hero, mm. exposing the Planned Parenthood baby body parts issues. Um, so, you know, it's just awesome to see, uh, the work that they're continuing to do and it's good to know that you're going to be there. So thanks Noah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, thank, thank, thank you, Tom. And thank you for, uh, it's, it's been, been just delightful working with you and doing the show. You know, I remember when we were sort of story storyboarding, uh, creating the ideas for this, this show, uh, I think it's lived up to a lot of what we've talked about, but I think there's only room to get better. And even though I'm not going to be uh, a, a co-host on the show anymore, I cannot wait to continue listening to what you have in store. I mean, you remember, Tom, we, you know, we, when we were coming up with names for the show, we had a <laughs> lot of different ones. And I, I got to tell you, my favorite, Anna Claire, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. I want to hear some of them. I want to hear okay, some so of them. Okay, so this, I, I don't remember all of them, but I, I'll say this one because I still think this is a very good name, and uh, oh, I'm probably no. never going to be able to create a show with this name. So if any of our listeners want to, uh, they can do it. They just have to credit me. Uh, anyway, you ready Ready for it, Anna Claire? Okay, all right. I'm you got to be shocked, shocked and on. Here's the name. Range of Meaning. <laughs> Ooh. See, it would have played well with the kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to filter yeah, my help. reaction. Oh, I no. That's great. That's really genius. Really genius. You know where it comes from, Anna Claire. I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> I, this was I such an inside baseball thing. No, it still blows my mind that this was a, this was a concept. <laughs> It, it comes from a speech by uh, Justice Antonin Scalia, may he rest in peace, where he talks okay. about yes. uh, originalism and sort of uh, a constructionist reading of the Constitution, which just means that reading the Constitution with words with somewhat of a fixed meaning uh, in a reasonable way, mm-hmm. when he says that each, that every word... Because he, he would call himself oftentimes a broad constructionist of the Constitution, which is also what Alexander Hamilton right. called himself, of because the word strict, uh, mm-hmm. I, a lot of people who are, who, who a lot of people who the media would describe, describe as a strict constructionist don't like being described that way because I think the word strict conjures up words and conjures up like ideas that like, oh, like they're like rigid and like they don't have an under, like a, a holistic understanding. But broad constructionism uh, would say, Antonin Scalia would say that every word or every phrase has a range of meaning. That sure, maybe it's not literally one way mm-hmm. that it can mean, but there is a range, and in that range, people can reasonably disagree. But outside that range, people cannot reasonably disagree. And that's where, like, the living constitution and the completely yeah. unfixed, un- unfixed yes. mooring has. It. So I, I sort of like that range of meaning to where there was right. a realm where people can disagree, uh, but. It's it's not as wide as others say. Now, for example, Tom, let me give you an example. I think of the range of mm-hmm. meaning of the Constitution. You ready for this? Go for it. Okay. Here would be, I think, a reasonable range of meaning. When you're talking about the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which guarantees uh, due process to all Americans, that I, I would say in equal rights, I would say that in the reasonable range of meaning, you can say that it does not ref- does not refer to preborn people and does not sort of cover abortion at all. Right, sort of the what people would say is the states' rights idea of just that it's completely left to the states. It doesn't say the word abortion. They didn't intend for the word abortion. It's just not there. That's in the range of meaning. Okay. Also in the range of meaning, I think, 
is uh, an idea that Josh Craddock has talked about on this podcast, which is that the 14th Amendment, you know, affirmatively protects preborn children because it offers due process and equal protection to all Americans. We know that preborn people are humans. They're just small and living in their mothers. And so they deserve that uh, that right guaranteed to them by the 14th Amendment. I think that both of those are in the range of meaning. What's not in the range of meaning <laughs> is what the justices did in Roe v. Wade, which is saying somehow the 14th Amendment uh, guarantees the right to abortion. So, you know, you have the two ideas that are in their mm-hmm. proper range of meaning and the one that's not. So anyway, I think that would have been an interesting one idea for the podcast uh, uh, for the name. What do you think, Anna Claire? I like it. I mean, it's all coming back to me. I had, I read a, a pre-law textbook by Scalia and it's, it's been a couple of years, but it's all flooding back. And I think that actually with the right audience, would be would be a really good name and i think we can still hopefully represent that argument here because it's relevant i mean it's so true I mean, it, it's it's interpreting something just out of out of left field that, that sounds like never... anna claire agrees with me tom you know i, I could see us incorporating yeah. a future range I, I of meaning of... segment maybe in honor of, of noah after your departure <laughs> In honor of Noah, yeah, yeah, a column or something, you know, we, we just highlight him. and Tom and thought that the name was stodgy and lame and the youth wouldn't think it was cool, but I'm glad we've disproved him. Yeah, exactly. That's not exactly how I put it, but, uh, you know, you got to avoid those, <laughs> those ego moments. <laughs> like I said, a very specific audience would get it. I don't know. That's right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Other Noah. than uh, that, I, I don't remember even some of the other names. I remember workshopping them on the whiteboard in our old office in mm-hmm. Arlington, but... Uh, yeah, the the life, liberty, and law I think served a unique role too. Just in you know, it's like you look at other other podcasts on human rights or the human right to life in particular. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. A lot of them are just very literal, like the pro life podcast, you know, or the pro life radio show, or whatever <laughs> of you know what you know Nevada or something. Uh, so I think th- this name speaks to some of the, the comments you were making there, Noah, about um, you know our founders, right? Um, which is that this is this is. Just as AUL tries to serve as a connective tissue for the pro-life community, um, hopefully we're kind of bridging the gap there from in America's founding ideals to its future, right? Which is that these things are not disconnected. It's not just random, which is what we're told so often in our culture, that it's just just power politics, just whatever people have the most votes to do, they can impose it, moral concerns, justice be damned. And that's that's why you're such a good guy, Tom, because, you know, if it was just power politics, (laughs) we would have just called it the Tom Shakely Show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's a compliment. I, let's move on. Uh, so, Noah, what uh, what do you think? You know, we should talk a, a little bit about uh, life, liberty, and law, and, and some of the episodes that we've done here together. Mm. Um, what what were some of your favorite conversations on the show? We've done what a hundred and thirty some episodes so far. Yeah, well, Tom, uh, every single one has been, I think, really good. And I'm I like the one where we broke down the Kanye stuff. I don't. You remember that one? <laughs> yeah, it was a good, a good, a good one. Me and you, me and you at the mic talking about Kanye. No, it's true. I, I heard uh, from some some disappointed listeners who saw the episode title and they thought they're like, we were expecting you to literally be interviewing Kanye, and I'm like, man, I wish. I'll tell you what. <laughs> But that was a great, a great segment there where he's talking about, about how he himself was nearly a victim of abortion, how he almost aborted his own child, right? And, and you know, talking in that, in that clip uh, at, at the, this was at his uh, sort of South Carolina event that he did. Uh, and he said, you know, they're going to call me crazy for saying this. They're going to say I'm unwell. And that's literally what happened afterward. They said, oh, Kanye was off his meds or something. You know, he doesn't know what he's saying. Uh, just, just incredible. But uh, he's, he's a powerful witness on it. 
that uh i guess that's one of my that favorites yeah, that, well, I'm glad that'll be your number one. Well, maybe, Tom, maybe we can trade back and forth. Maybe we can go, we could each start with our, I think we both made a little list of uh, of some of our top five. And me and Tom both love. Yeah, give we, me yeah, the here. We, we both love all of our guests and all of our show, but these are just ones that I think maybe uh, really stuck with us for a little while. So I'll start with my top five, Tom, or with my fifth. Uh, favorite episode, and that has to be uh, Dr. David Prentice, one of our, I think, one of our first five episodes way back when. Uh, he's uh, the one of the leaders and scholars of the Charlotte Lozier Institute, and it, just, it was one of the first times where I got to sit down uh, with, you know, a law, a mandate to talk for a long time with a pro-life doctor who just knows his stuff and uh, is just bulletproof, right? On uh, it's not like we're guessing on when life begins. Uh, we absolutely know embryologists, uh, OBGYNs, doctors like Dr. David Prentice. Uh, we we understand the medicine, and anytime we're disagreeing about when life begins, it's politics. It's not medicine. Yeah, that's right. David Prentice is such a such a powerful advocate. He is testified between, before state legislatures uh, in D.C. He's written powerful papers, defenses of human life, um, the sort of things that that we're just pretending to ignore in our public policy about you know from Roe v. Wade onwards. If we don't know when life begins, and he just goes so mm. simply to the beginning, he says we know very clearly at the moment of sperm egg fusion. Some call it conception, some call it fertilization, um, you know, through the Carnegie stages that he walked us through in that episode. We know exactly when life begins. We know how human development occurs. And, you know, we have to think about that from not just that moment of conception, but through a whole lifetime, right? It's, a, it's that idea. You've seen photos probably of a child in the womb, and that's a developing child. And you see a photo of a baby born, you know, and in its months of infancy, still a developing child, right? Mm. Uh, through old age, that's a whole human lifetime. And David Prentice had such a powerful way of doing that. Yeah, that's right, Tom. And, you know, it's there's been a, that was literally one of our very first uh, first episodes, like we said. And I think me and you got better at the whole podcast thing uh, as it went on. Not you. You were always a pro. You did uh, college radio. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was it's like that's still one of the episodes if someone just says, to me, uh, c- can you give me a, just a quick uh, rundown of the, the science behind life and early life? I'd still turn them towards that episode. It's just invaluable. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I, How about you, Tom? I don't have my ranked, five? you know, five through through one, but I will go through. I'm going to go through uh, my favorites from the, the earliest uh, to the most recent. So, you know, okay, one of good. The, I'm glad know, we're using two different systems. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this is probably, I think, from, from the earliest episodes we did. I really enjoyed speaking with uh, Catherine and Matt Hadro in, I think this was episode nine of, of Life, Liberty, and Law. Um, speaking with the Hadros, they're, they're both great journalists uh, at EWTN. Uh, and Matt uh, also worked for a stint with a uh, great pro-life congressman, uh, Chris Smith, in New Jersey. Uh, and so Matt has experience on kind of both sides there of reporting on this issue and advocating on this issue. And Catherine, you know, through her program, EWTN Pro-Life Weekly, tells incredible, uplifting stories of pro-life uh, victories, of reasons for hope, um, of, of examples of overcoming, um, you know, the sort that our culture just that looks askance at, right? And says kind of, what's the point? Mm. And, and being able to showcase uh, people who have overcome what had they had been told were maybe hopeless situations, I think is always energizing to me. But being able to speak with the Hadros uh, in particular, kind of about how they think about reporting, right? You know, realizing that, that journalists, uh, no journalist 
is coming to an issue from a place of nowhere, right? This, this idea of objectivity in journalism uh, is, is a false one, right? In the sense that journalists uh, are starting, even if the baseline is they've just learned about an issue, well, they've, they've learned the things they know from somewhere, right? They've gotten the sources and their perspectives from somewhere, of some authority, some perspective, some bias, and they, they're bringing that to the way they cover an issue, that's as true whether you're a journalist who's just parachuted into Kabul to cover what's going on there uh, in the political transition or whether you're in a state house covering pro-life issues. And so I think hearing from them about the, their personal experiences that, that help impact how they report in a humane and uplifting and empathetic way on pro-life issues was powerful, um, but also hearing uh, about, you know, sort of the, the things to avoid in reporting. Um, you know, when you're trying to do justice to a source or to an issue, hearing some of the stories Matt had in particular about, you know, some of the reporting he did that really affected him, I think was great uh, because, you know, too often the the kind of cultural milieu that we're in, people just beat up on reporters and, and media and mainstream media. And they say none of it's reliable. And I think uh, Catherine and Matt Hadra are both really great examples. And that conversation was a great one to kind of go through how to do it well uh, and to realize yeah. that, that media is not a problem in and of itself. It's actually a real good. And he, he, even though that was such an early episode, Tom, I think episode yeah. nine, uh, that's still, I think, the only husband and wife duo we've had on at the same time. And that was uh, that would be something that I would encourage you to do again going forward, find another husband-wife duo, because that was a really, really <laughs> cool way uh, to have a conversation. That's true. That's so good, because even in, I mean, even in everything we say and write, we're either dignifying or not. So that's, I, I need to go back and find the early on ones, because y'all are, y'all are making me want to go listen to them. That's, that's a great topic. The oldies, the golden oldies. We'll link to them in the show notes. That's right. Well, Tom, my next one has to be just sort of name-checking the episodes I would call the friends of the show. Though we've done about 130 episodes, we've not had 130 guests because some guests we've had on uh, two or three or even four times. And the people that come to mind are Alexander DeSantis, who we even just talked to last week uh, from National Review, Mary Margaret Olihan from The Daily Caller. Those are both two just amazing reporters who are on the life beat. Uh, Wesley Smith from the Discovery Institute, uh, who's who's given us some great insight and analysis on especially stuff about sort of the difference between animal welfare and animal rights and what makes humans unique about why humans are the only uh, species on Earth that have rights. Uh, Charlie Camosi, uh, an, an amazing uh, university professor who has sort of talked about the consistent life ethic and the dignity uh, of, of every single soul, no matter their status or, or class. Uh, so I, I appreciate just all of those people that I'd call friends of the show and, and others who I, who I didn't even mention who took the time to come on the show multiple times and establish a rapport and a relationship with the audience. And uh, I think each of each of those times, I know sometimes when I'm listening to my, one of my favorite shows, I love it when there's a guest who's been on there multiple times because I already understand sort of what they're about and I'm excited to hear their take. So I appreciate all the friends of Life, Liberty, and Law. That's right. That's a really good one, Noah. I appreciate that. You packed like Thanks. seven episodes into one there. So that's good. You're really you're blowing <laughs> up your own system here. It's good. Yeah, the the friends of the show and I think friends of the movement. So I think, you know, for for me, you know, my my next favorite would probably be another another one of the early episodes was uh with Lee Edwards. Uh, you remember that conversation? Oh, that was such, such a good, a good one. choice. That was episode Tom. twenty. 
you know, such a good choice. Lee uh, has been there from the beginning, both in terms of uh, our history at Americans United for Life. You know, Lee shared in that episode how back in the beginning, you know, in 1970, 1971, he was commissioned by some of the founders of AUL to go out and to secure the testimonial of our first organizational chairwoman, uh, Hollywood actress. And so Lee was there. He was sent to secure the, the backing uh, as, as first honorary chairwoman for American Center for Life of, of A-list talent in Hollywood, right? And he's sharing this story, this incredible story uh, of being up close with, with uh, of being up close there in Hollywood and, and bringing together at the beginning this idea of star power and being able to use mainstream talent uh, to speak the truth on human life. So great to hear his testimony of his role in that. Uh, I think to realize that, that this is a movement that certainly predates us and, and hopefully will outlast us because whatever happens on Roe, whenever Roe is consigned to the dustbin of history, there's always going to be a need for solidarity and, and for companionship on the human right to life across the spectrum of issues. As long as we're here as human beings, there are going to be problems with human rights, right? There are going to be challenges to them, and there are going to be opportunities to do better. And Lee spoke about that in so many ways. You know, he, he continues to be affiliated with the Heritage Foundation. Um, he's written so many books. I think he's, he's written or edited, you know, more than two dozen books. Uh, on the conservative movement, he's written about his experiences with Ronald Reagan and William F. Buckley, visiting Reagan out there in Southern California, uh, seeing that he was the real deal. Remember he was talking about he, he, when Reagan was getting him an iced tea in the other room, Lee mm. goes through his library there and he pulls a book off the shelf and he said, you know, I wanted to see if this guy, you know, if these were like fake, basically, right? And he says, but no, <laughs> you know, the, he picks a, a book off the shelf and there's underlines and post-it notes and highlights. And he says, this guy's really read these books. Uh, you know, so so hearing from Lee, you know, just an incredible, you know, living uh, living library, living witness to what's happened over the past 50, 60, 70 years in our culture. He was there for so much of it. And of course, he also spoke about an issue that's near and dear to your heart, Noah, which was, you know, what's what's going on for the future uh, of free China in Taiwan. And he spoke about freedom in Hong Kong. So I think, you know, showing mm. that too, same way we did with Afghanistan last week with Alexander DeSanctis saying, the human right to life spectrum is not so narrow that it's just sort of a technical or bioethical set of arguments uh, as they apply to politics. Ultimately, this does concern human freedom, human liberty. Well, the right to life is listed before the right to liberty. I mean, we, we can't have liberty or the pursuit of happiness without the right to life. That's foundational. That's exactly right. Yes. So anyway, no, nailed it. Yeah. No, I know you love the Lee Edwards episode. Lovely, lovely. Lee is just such a, such just a, a, a gem, just a precious, precious, precious gem of a man, a true treasure. Uh, I remember, you know, my little brother uh, is still in college and he loves, you know, used bookstores and just sort of picking up books. And uh, a couple weeks ago, he was just telling me about this, this really interesting book you read on Barry Goldwater. Amazing. And I'm like, well, who wrote the book? And he's like, this guy, Lee Edwards. I'm like, oh, Lee. You know, Lee's just written on so many, on Edwards and Reagan and China. And just, he's just, he is a treasure. Uh, that was a great pick, Tom. I'm so happy that we were able to have Lee uh, on the show and I was able to be a part of that. Well, my next pick uh, is sort of two episodes we did very close to each other just this past spring in 2021 in April and May. Uh, one with Senator Steve Daines of Montana, who's chairman of the Pro-Life Caucus in the Senate and the founder, and then Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler from the 4th District in Missouri, uh, where I'm from. 
and I'm not from the 4th District, but I'm from Missouri. Uh, she is the chairwoman of the Value Actions Team, which is sort of like the, the, the point group for pro-life policy in the House of Representatives. And it was just so, it was enlightening to speak to both of them. They were both so generous with their time, giving us uh, sort of their, their path uh, to being so pro-life and caring about that so much in their public policy. And also those political machinations, you know, what does it take? You, you got to be uh, smart like a fox to, you know, get things through Congress and uh, both Senator Daines and Congresswoman Hartzler, uh, they are some of the some of the smartest in all of D.C. So I really enjoyed getting to talk to them about both the policy and the tactics. That's right. No, yeah, especially Steve Daines. I mean, founder of the U.S. Senate Pro Life Caucus. Wasn't that incredible? Yeah, it's something else. I mean, it's, well, I remember something you said, Tom. Is it's amazing that the pro life the Senate pro life caucus in the Senate didn't exist before two years ago or something or eighteen months ago. Uh, you know, That's it's, it's kind of t- takes you by surprise, but it also reminds you that uh, you know for too long this, even though pro life voters have been the ones who have sort of swept so many politicians into office. Pro-life voters have not been given the same seat at the table as the, you know, the NRA or the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and so it's, you know, that's part of what these uh, great politicians talked about is that uh, that time is over, that pro-life voters need to be given their due and they need to like our agenda needs to lead these the people who we helped elect agenda. And I think that's both uh, Senator Daines and Congresswoman Hartzler have illustrated that. That's right. Yeah, I think, too, one of the things that that conversations with both of them and with really anybody in uh, you know elected office at any level, I mean, I think of our conversation with Katrina Jackson, right, uh, down in Louisiana, also revealed that just as much as that folks on the pro-life side are coming into office and are motivated in whatever way by uh, a pro-life issue, well, the, the, the inverse is probably also true for many people on the other side of this issue who are confused about the human right to life, who think that, you know, that it's more important, you know, to pay for somebody's abortion or, you know, to make uh, a particular life ending, uh, quote unquote, treatment available. Right. When you talk about something like, uh, you know, a suicide by physician, folks are coming to their perspective on those issues, maybe because of hurts and pains, uh, because of terrible lived experiences they've had where, whether it was a doctor or a family member or someone in a, in a coercive position over over them, push them uh, to a really terrible place, or where they just have anecdotal experience of that in terms of friends, family, and what have you. And so I think that that all the more reminds us that that we've got to really be witnesses and and to reach out. Right? We can't be silent, and we can't just let our work in these things be purely political. Right? That's what I think both Steve Daines and Vicky Hartzler. Uh, clearly underscore, which is for them, yeah, these are political issues. They they are uh, part of public life, and we need to speak they on them. They have to be. But they're intensely personal, right? And and both of them came to them for personal reasons, and they realized the need for that personal right. witness first. And it's the personal witness that's going to convert hearts uh, for those who are on the other side of it. Yeah, well, there's you know that that's what what we've been talking about, right, Anna Claire? Is that these these personal stories is what sort of sticks in our mind? You know, uh, both Cinder Daines and Congresswoman Hartzler said a lot of interesting policy things, but the things that stick out to me, the two of them, one is Cinder Daines talking about his grandchildren, and two, Congresswoman Hartzler talking about her adoption and her and her daughter who she adopted. Yeah, uh, you know, those are living out the pro life ethic. Both those things. Totally, yeah. so powerful at an individual level, and. That's that's what gets me too. It's like thinking whether it's learning about physician assisted suicide this summer. All I could think about was my grandmother and how valuable the end of her life was, even at maybe such a low quality of life. And and people, you know, friends that I've had who have who have faced abortion. I mean, it's just 
everyone has a story and everyone has a face that they can connect to this. And if we can get them to just take the time to think about that person um, who they know who could have been aborted or who, yeah, who, who may have a low quality of life, but, but still lives a wonderful life. That's, that's really where hearts are changed. That's right. Yeah. And we're now, you know, all of us born after Roe v. Wade, we're all survivors of abortion culture in that sense that, that anything could have been done to us, that there was no legal protection for us. And it really is, in that sense, the heroism of every one of our mothers and fathers who made the choice for life, whether yeah. it was a default choice, right? It's like not, it doesn't mean to, it doesn't need to mean that there was even a debate. Um, but it still is just a reality the culture we're born into. I think of, you know, the, the next episode for me is uh, our conversation, episode 33, with Hadley Arcus. And we've spoken with Hadley a few times, uh, and we've also featured some great archival um, uh, audio of Hadley from his speaking to American Center for Life conferences in years past. But Hadley, you know, like Lee Edwards, is another just incredible witness on the pro-life issues, um, but really broadly speaking in terms of what our politics, particularly what our jurisprudence should look like. So, you know, in that first conversation we had with Hadley, no, I know you, you won't forget we had him in studio at the AUL office uh, in D.C., Another true delight. And it was a great, you know, longer conversation than I think we expected, but a really delightful one. We, we got into uh, originalism. You know, we got into the John Roberts court with John Roberts as chief justice, you know, what, what he's doing or not doing to lead the court. And we got into the, the principles uh, that are behind the Constitution's text. You know, we, we joked earlier about range of meaning and these ideas about different methods of constitutional interpretation. Well, Hadley Arcus for years has been powerful on this idea that, you know, even originalism, it's not enough if, if we bracket all of the presuppositions, all of the the intuitions uh, that were behind the words, right? The words themselves to understand what they meant to those at the time of the writing. You need to go into, you know, what the worldview was of the folks who wrote them, what the philosophy was that guided them, uh, because again, these folks are not neutral. And so, you know, Hadley Hadley shared some of even his sparring. Uh, with his friend uh, Justice Scalia in a personal capacity. So, you know, Justice Scalia famously or infamously, you know, has talked about you know, the Constitution's uh, disposition toward abortion. And, you know, it was Scalia's view, uh, to paraphrase, that the Constitution doesn't prohibit abortion definitively, uh, that even the, something like the 14th Amendment, you know, his idea was that it protected what he called walking around persons. You know, and Hadley challenged him on that. He says, you know, walking around persons. I mean, where are you getting this from? And it was Scalia's intention that, well, that was just sort of implicit. And that's that was in that space that Hadley goes through and says, and that's exactly the challenge when we're talking about jurisprudential decisions. What was clear or implicit for one justice isn't necessarily for the rest. And so we've got to be able to go into yeah. these principles that underlie the Constitution's text and, uh, and I think Hadley's been doing that really well uh, for years, particularly with the James Wilson Institute, um, which he founded and, and still is involved with today. Yeah, Had Hadley's just amazing. And I'll talk more about Hadley because Hadley might even be up or higher on my list. But <laughs> Hadley's just a, a, amazing. But it does make me think of uh, the next the next spot on my list, which, sorry, guys. <clears throat> I started to sound like a smoker. 
it does make me think about the next spot on my list uh, because Hadley, one episode we released of him, you know, we had two, we've had two where it was just a live conversation and one, like you said, Tom, was an archive episode and that's my next pick, which is just the AUL archive episodes that we've released, mm. uh, you know, with Leon Cass, Dr. Leon Cass, with Hadley Arcus and I especially think of the episode with uh, Henry Hyde, Congressman Henry Hyde and Tom, if you'll indulge me for one minute, I want to read a review which a listener left, a five-star review on Apple Podcast podcast uh the the listener left this back in april when we released this episode the user's name was 116 mom 116 mom and she titled the review good right and true here's what she said quote this is an excellent podcast thank you so very much i've listened for quite a while and have learned much from your many episodes your recent episode of henry hyde's speech however is what is prompting me to write a glowing review it also makes me very sad that he's no longer with us What a decisive, knowledgeable, and brave man Mr. Hyde was. There are a number of encouragements he mentioned that would benefit any person who cares about unborn children and understands the the wickedness of the abortion industry. And she goes on, but I think that that, that touched me, you know, because we, when we first released these archive episodes, we didn't know would people like them. You know, these, I think the Henry Hyde one was from 92 or 94. It's so long ago. Would people care? Uh, but people do care, and, and especially what Congressman Hyde said was is so timeless, and it definitely makes me feel connected to the movement. It makes me encourage. I don't know what's wrong with. <clears throat> it makes me encourage for the future to uh, hear these these sort of messages from the past that still resonate today. And if you're listening right now and enjoying what you're hearing, you should leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, it's right. You know, the, uh, the these conversations, the archival conversations, especially, we're so uh, so gifted at American Center for Life with this this heritage of the past of past generations of folks at American Center for Life and so many powerful advocates who've spoken. Uh, for the human right to life, that we have so much of this audio, that we have so much of this video even um, from years past, and that it is still so relevant. That I think bolsters my conviction that that what we're doing isn't just right and needed in this time, but that really this is uh, you know a part of the process of building a permanent human rights infrastructure in American civil society. Right, that there's always going to be a need for Americans United for Life. You know, NARAL or Planned Parenthood, those exist to try to perpetuate and uphold a particular social ill in society. Uh, they want to promote abortion. They want to keep it uh, around. They want to perpetuate it on others. They want to force it on people who feel like they have no choice. And they want to do it in the name of choice. Uh, but once people have come to realize, especially through the judiciary, that abortion is incompatible with a free society, there's not going to be a need for a NARAL anymore. It's going to go away. Uh, and if Planned Parenthood yeah, stays around, right. it's going to have to change. It's going to have to become something else. But there's always going to be a need for Americans Center for Life and for other groups advocating on these issues because there's always going to need, uh, there's always going to be a need for a defense of of what human rights are at their root and what they mean in practice in terms of their provision in our society. That's a great point, Tom. What's your next favorite episode? Well, pivoting a little bit, I think uh, for me was episode 55. I know we've been talking about a lot about politics. Uh, you know, Gracie Olmstead joined us for Great episode choice. 55. And Gracie uh, is, is a really, really compelling younger voice. Uh, we spoke uh, about a lot of things with Gracie, among them uh, her interactions with 
uh, Wendell Berry, uh, a great hero mm. of, of 20th and 21st century American life. Uh, we spoke about localism and family life. We spoke about uh, her her monthly newsletter called Granola. Um, we spoke about you know the question of meaning, right? We got into some really really metaphysical philosophical things in that conversation, but the sort of things that relate to daily life, right? She spoke about city living versus rural living. She spoke about embracing community, uh, what it meant to do that on a real practical level. And she spoke about the human right to life, um, all in that context of what does it look like to, I remember to love she your about neighbor? Farming. Yeah, yeah. Hearing about the land and farming, I thought that we had never had a guest before, Tom, who talked about sort of the connection to to where you live and the land. I thought that was really compelling. That's right. Well, yeah, and, and is she the author of Uprooted. That's right. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Have you read this? I have. Wow, I what did you think? Really, I it it was so so thought provoking. I mean, I think she brings about I love that it's her story of I moved to DC and I was you know I was kind of running and I'm kind of realizing what I left behind in this whole mass migration of young people who think that who associate meaning with work and accomplishments and you know just kind of the persona the image of I went away and I did this thing and and I'm I've seen that play out just among my friends and I and we're like what are we leaving behind? You know, why, why, why is it kind of an automatic thing to, to just really, really take on the identity of what we can do and what we can accomplish and, and what, how impressive we can look. And so I think she starts a really, really good conversation that's really necessary. And like you said, comes back to what is significant, what, why are we innately valuable Hmm. Um, what gives us purpose as humans, what gives us purpose and, 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 you know, kind of combats utilitarianism as a way of, of giving meaning and value to humans because it's not, it's not what we do. I mean, and that, and that is a lot of the root of the pro-life kind of ethic is just innate value and worth and dignity. And she kind of analyzes how that plays out and what happens when we forget that in our own lives that's right yeah it's such a great book it's it's called uprooted recovering the legacy of the places we've left behind you can find it on amazon she does the audiobook uh herself so it's i always like that you know when i do listen to audiobooks i like to hear the author read themselves charlie camosi did that too recently uh with with his books but uh gracie gracie was uh, such a such a powerful advocate well, Tom, I, we're, we're at the, the top of my list, the pinnacle, and uh, love all the episodes we've talked about before and even the ones we didn't. But I have to say the, the just the most impactful episodes for me, the ones that will leave the biggest mark on my heart, are especially the conversations with Josh Craddock, uh, a terrific attorney, um, Harvard Law School graduate. And uh, and Hadley Arcus, who you are, who you mentioned earlier, because of their formation and their impact on me and the way that I think when it comes to this idea, and in my opinion, this true hypothesis or argument that the 14th Amendment uh, affirmatively protects all human life, including preborn. And that's, you know, if, if we if you want to tell everyone has, you know, uh, 
ideological or philosophical changes, right? And, you know, e- even uh, Socrates and Plato talked about different people act- acting as philosophical midwives, you know, helping you uh, sort of come into different and more advanced or mature strains of thought. And both of those guys on these conversations, you know, you can sort of listen to it, especially that first conversation, if you go back with Josh uh, more than a year ago, I really put, you know, I really push back on Josh a lot. And I, of course, he can take it. And he's a smarter guy than me. And it's pushing back is a good way to understand new ideas. But I, I wasn't pushing back as devil's advocate. I really didn't think I agreed with him. Uh, in my mind, is that he really he he won me over. He made an argument, and he was building on the work that Hadley Arcus has been doing for decades. And uh, I think that's ultimately what's going to win the day for our cause. And even if that doesn't happen immediately, right? Even if you know the justices look at that sort of reasonable range of meaning I mentioned earlier, and first overrule Roe v. Wade, just sending it back to the states. That doesn't mean that it's ultimately the most correct move, right? Because what judges are trying to do is not only the right the right thing, they're trying to do the most right thing, right? Some there's there are narrow right things and broader right things, and you want to do the broadest, uh, the best right thing. And the best right thing when it comes to the Supreme Court and abortion is to say that the Constitution prohibits it, and the drafters of the Fourteenth Amendment meant to give equal protection and due process uh, to all Americans, including uh, very small young Americans. So I really appreciate those episodes yeah right and, and going at it from both angles there too realizing like whether you're going to make the argument that it's the it's the amendments later uh the civil war era amendments that prohibit abortion definitively or whether you're going to say that that just the natural law basis for the constitution all those implicit things the presuppositions behind uh commitments to you know life uh for instance uh are are the basis for it uh, it's there, right? That there's not a, this sort of moral indifference about it. Uh, I think of, um, you know, as we're talking about these things, you know, my, my, I think, uh, final episode to share of, of the top five favorites is, uh, is related in the sense of, uh, being Professor Joseph Delapena, who we spoke to in episode 105. Um, Joseph Delapena, I think, backs this stuff up a hundred percent because he gives the, the historical basis for it, right? It's like, you don't look, if you want to bracket conversations about natural law, if you think there's no such thing as natural law, right? If you think there's nothing, nothing uh, fundamentally in, in life, in the universe as a, as a fundamental good or evil, right? That there's no right or wrong absent your own personal beliefs, whatever your beliefs on that are fine, but look at just the history of lived human experience. And that's what Joseph Delapena does in his incredible book on Roe v. Wade, 1,200 pages he wrote. It's called Dispelling the Myths of Abortion History. And he gets into this in such an important way. Two, two things I want to comment on. One, I'll, I'll read a segment there that we talked about in the episode with him. But even before that, I want to share, related to Joseph Delapena, you know, he just filed a brief uh, in the case that the Supreme Court is going to be considering in its upcoming term, Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization, and many people filed briefs. AUL filed briefs. We filed two briefs in this case. But Professor Delapena's brief, I think, was critically important because he essentially distilled some of the, the conclusions from his book in the Supreme Court brief, going back into the history of abortion law. And he says, you know, was it ever the experience in the common law, in other words, in, in the Anglo-English legal tradition, was it ever the experience, and this goes back further, by the way, into even into the roots of, of Roman law, right? The echoes of Roman law that the English inherited. Was it ever the experience that abortion was condoned by the law? And he says, no. You know, we know from the Roman times 
Of course, it was the Christians who were seen as strange because they were the ones going and saving the infants left out to die by exposure, the unwanted babies left out in the wilderness and on the rocks and so forth. Uh, they were the ones doing that, and it was that that cultural change that brought about a, a real revolution, a moral revolution on the issue of, of what to do with unwanted children, unwanted babies. But he says if you look at the legal tradition uh, of the English forward, you can go back to about the year 1200, and you can find prohibitionary laws against abortion. You know, and, and, and he goes through in his Supreme Court brief that he filed case after case after case of this from the past 800 years. And, and making that point then that Roe and this sort of bizarre, deadly experiment we've been engaged in for the past half century is so far out of line with the lived experience of just legal history, of community history. Uh, and that speaks to one of the things that we talked about in the show with uh, Professor Delapena, which is, um, you know, that, uh, quote, without the decision in Roe, he wrote, it remains far from clear whether or when the ordinary political process in the United States would have recognized a right to choose abortion, unquote. And Noah, you also mentioned in that episode uh, a great quote from Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, where Holmes said that the first requirement of a sound body of law is that it should correspond with the actual feelings and demands of the community. Mm, clearly. Democratic legitimacy. Clearly, we failed that test. You know, Roe wiped out the democratic will uh, of every state that protected life. So I think, you know, J Professor Delapena's book is important uh, for realizing that these things are, are deep in our history. He's the only one uh, who's gone as deep into the history um, on this uh, as, as really needs to be the case, hopefully to inform the Supreme Court's decision in the upcoming term. He came to speak this summer at AUL and... And the myths are strong. I mean, whenever he has to dispel the myths of abortion history because a different narrative has been accepted. And and I think he's so thorough. And it and we actually, I think, are working on kind of a shortened version of that 1200 page. That's right. Because um, his arguments are so great. So I'm excited for that. It's a, that's a great pick, Tom. That was a great episode. Uh, Professor Delapena is a shark. Uh and that was great. You know, one final thing I'll mention, just sort of a sixth to top it off uh, before we just move on from this, is I also, I really do appreciate all the episodes we had where we had other team members from AUL on, right? They were they were the most consistent friends of the show, Katie Glenn, our government affairs counsel, Steve Aiden, our chief legal officer, and especially Clark Forsyth, our senior counsel. Because if we talk about people who have history in the movement, Clark has worked at AUL since I think 1985 is the year. Right. And that is really... An, an impressive history of work, especially at, at one place and for the same cause. And so I'm, I'm indebted to all of them. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of great episodes in the future that I'm excited to uh, to be a part of as a listener and maybe maybe even as a, as a, as a guest uh, way far in the future. But, Tom, <laughs> you're not going to be doing this alone. And uh, that sort of explains why Anna Claire is, uh, is on the show with us today. Anna Claire was our intern over the summer. Uh, she is uh, completing her, her final year at university. She's a very talented young lady. Why is she on this episode with us right now? Well, Anna Claire is coming in as uh, AUL's new communications associate. So, Anna Claire, welcome back to America's Edit for Life. Welcome, Thank Anna you. Claire. It's like I never left. <laughs> it was about a week, a week or two, I think, uh, gap there, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a little, little summer break, and I'm so excited to be back because I love learning about this and being able to just ask 
the experts directly is such a fun way to learn. And so I'm really, really excited for what's to come. And yes, Noah, you will be one of those experts. Wow. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, we'll get you on the list. <laughs> Anna Claire was so talented uh, that we we couldn't let her we couldn't let her go. We needed to keep keep working with her. Uh, you're smart and incisive and Thank extremely you. empathetic. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited to to sort of listen as you as you and Tom get to have these conversations uh, for a long time going forward. Yeah, it's going to be so much That's fun. That's right. Yeah, Anna Claire, you are coming in as as a successor to uh sorry, I'm getting Catherine's calling me. Noises are coming through. <laughs> Anna Claire, you know, you're stepping in uh to a great position at AUL. You know, you're joining a great storied uh history of defending the human right to life and advancing it. Um but also thrilled to be joining uh I'm also thrilled to be joined by you on Life, Liberty and Law and excited to to see you host the program and and have great conversations in the uh, the days and weeks to come. Yeah, you know, I love it because I think, like I've said earlier, this is where this is where our responsibility and our kind of humanity collide and we can have, we can really let the emotion get to us of just like, there is so much grief and sadness, but also so much hope in these conversations. And I love just getting to to talk to people who have really thought about this and have really committed not only their time and energy and talent, but also their raw emotion to be able to look at this every day and say, we cannot live with this um, as, as is, and we've got to do something about it. And I think this is a place where kind of my, my opportunity and, and I guess love of talking to people can collide and contribute to the movement. So I'm really talent. That talent. I don't know about that, but it's, it's a great place to be. And, and I want to activate others to do what they can where they are. That's right. Well, it's going to be great and looking forward to stepping into the future with you. And Noah, thank you for all you've done uh, at America Center for Life. Uh, thank you for all you've done with these great conversations and, and thank you for what you will be doing at live action. We're hey, so my for you. Yeah, thank you both. My pleasure, Tom, and thank you. Uh, it's been it's been been a delight, and thank you to every. I know Tom never likes to extra diegetically refer to our listeners because we're just <laughs> sitting in our conversation, but thank you to uh, to every single person who's listened to even one episode. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure to get to, to share a little bit of space uh, in the space time continuum with you as we uh, as we talk about these important issues. You know, every single week on Life, Liberty, and Law, truly my favorite segment. I don't say that tritely. Ranger is our meeting, weekly right? shot of gratitude. What'd Rage you say? of meeting, right? <laughs> Rage of meeting, exactly. My favorite segment, Rage of meeting. Uh, no, is is our weekly shot of gratitude. Uh, it, it's it's a, honestly been a special time for me. It's it's you know, uh, in the fast paced world, especially in Missouri, it's a little bit easier. But especially when I lived in D.C., it can be tough to slow down and say what's something that you are grateful for. Uh, where where can you show some gratitude uh, this week? But uh, let's go, ladies first. Anna Claire, what's something mm-hmm. that you're grateful for this week? I'm grateful for. You know, we talked about kind of the power of place and I'm grateful for technology that allows us to connect in our places because I know you know you love Missouri, Noah. That's a good point. You've been able to you've been able to be faithful in Missouri and also connect um, to us in DC and now I'm down in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm gonna get to be a part of this from Alabama where where there's a lot going on in the pro life movement too. So I'm just thankful that we have the ability to connect this way and to talk to a lot of really fun guests over technology as well that really expands our reach. 
Yeah, I'm great. What about Tom? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm grateful for uh for a project that we've been working on for a little while at AUL that's that's going to be coming into into the public light soon which uh, is essentially the, the story of AUL's work uh, over the past half century. It's a, a part history of American Center for Life and part uh, story of the American human rights movement. And uh, this is something we're going to be releasing um, later this year, uh, toward the end of the year, November, December time period. And uh, this is going to be kind of our way uh, of, of honoring uh, the first 50 years of our history and all the, the, the men and women uh, and families and communities who've been supportive of American Jennifer for Life, but who've also built the American human rights movement on the human right to life. Uh, a lot of organizations, especially when they reach the mile marker of 50, 50th anniversary, they'll throw themselves a party, right? They'll have a, a gala or, or some kind of reception and it'll be all about them. And I think, you know, for us, we really wanted to, to work on a project and to invest our resources in something uh, that, that could tell our story, um, but, but also honor really all the participants in this movement, in this pro-life movement. And, and that's what we chose to do. Uh, and so that's, that's what this project is going to be about. That's what this book is going to be about. And I'm really excited. I've been working on that behind the scenes for a while, uh, especially uh, going to be working on that hard in the next few weeks and excited to share that with you soon. That's exciting. Wow. Noah, how about you? What's something you're grateful for? You know, Tom, I just have to say the thing that I'm grateful for this week is Americans United for Life. Uh, on my, my last podcast and my last recording here, uh, it's just it's an amazing organization. You know, the place where I'm going to go work live action is an amazing place, right, that's been around for, uh, you know, f- 15 years, you know what I mean, which, which is a, a great history. And they have so much, so much going on and are making such a big impact. But it is special to have a, an institution that's been around for 50 years, five zero. It's older than anyone on this podcast. And uh, it's older, older than a lot of our listeners. And, but our, and our listeners who are older than that can understand that's an impressive history. And so I'm thankful for AUL. I'm thankful for the impact we've had. I'm thankful for the impact we're having. And I'm thankful for the impact that the organization will continue to have uh, while I'm elsewhere. And I'm going to admire and support. So I'm, I'm really, great, really grateful for Americans United for Life. We love you, Noah, and we're excited for what's next. Thanks for all these great conversations and for what's to come. Thank you, guys. Thanks for everything, Noah. All right. If you've enjoyed our conversation today with Noah Brandt, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to the show, rate it and leave a review. Let a friend know you've discovered life, liberty, and law. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for us or for Noah, drop us an email at life at AUL.org. I am Tom Shakely, and until next time, thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Law.